Welcome, everybody, to uh, another installment of Innovation Crush. Uh, I'm your gracious host. I keep saying gracious. I don't know why I do this. This is like the third show I've said. I'm your gracious host. Uh, but I'm gracious to have you today. We'll get to that in a second. Um, uh, Chris Denson is my name. And in case you're tuning in for the first time, uh, this show is all about all things innovation, great ideas in the marketplace, and the amazing people behind them. Um, and today we have the um, the mustache impresario, if you will. <laughs> Uh, Adam Garone. Say hello, Adam. Hey, uh, it's, uh, well, I'm grateful to be here. Nice. Grateful, gracious. We're all, yeah, we're, yeah. we're one we're accord. Yeah. <laughs> Interview over. I told you. It just, uh, <laughs> um, so thanks for joining us, man. Um, how, uh, I guess just give me the 101. I mean, we've kind of all heard the, the term Movember, sure. but give me the 101 on you and the movement and, you know, we'll start there. Sure. Um, well, it goes back to 2003 in Melbourne, Australia, and uh, my brother and a mate, they were having beers on a Sunday afternoon and uh, they were chatting and, and discussing about uh, a lot of your stories involve beer, by the way. I've, I've yeah. noticed. So. Yeah, well, it's it's, um, it's a very traditional way uh, things in Australia start and <laughs> often end, actually, <laughs> and not so uh, often not so good. But um, this uh, this has a happy ending. Uh, the guys were talking about fashion and how everything comes back in a style eventually, and they had a few more beers, and the conversation turned to there has to be some stuff that hasn't made a comeback, and they could think of two things: uh, macrame. And uh, moustaches. <laughs> and a few more beers and the day ended with a challenge to bring back the moustache. And in Australia, Moe's slang for moustache. So. so this almost would have been Macromember. Yeah, exactly. If. All <laughs> sitting around uh, <laughs> making pots and <laughs> indoor plants and things like that. Um, yeah, so the first year, 2003, uh, created the rules, which are the same today. You start the month clean shave and grow a moustache. And... That year was really just an excuse to have a moustache-themed party at the end of the month and to see uh, if we could grow moustaches because secretly every guy wants to know what he does look like with a moustache. How do I look, by the way? This is yeah. I, I, I've never really Styling. truly committed to one <laughs> until this was going to happen. I'm like, oh, and now I have to. But You're very gracious. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we went about it. There were 30 of us that did November that very first year, and it was for no particular cause. And um, the next year, four of us got together, and we, we were just shocked at the response we got to growing a moustache and changing your appearance. And people would ask, why are you doing it? And it fell a bit flat when we had, you know, we were just doing it for a, a party, really. <laughs> and bosses wouldn't let us go and see clients, and, and girlfriends at the time were hated it, no longer our girlfriends. And, right. Um, so... But it was a really interesting journey around putting yourself out there, growing a moustache and and the stigmas that come along with growing a moustache. Right. Really, really interesting. I immediately experience. go 70s porn. Right, exactly. Of, I'm, yeah. I'm probably 80s. I think, okay, yeah. A yeah, bit later. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, then the next year, four of us got together and inspired by the conversation it created and the women around us and all they were doing for breast cancer, we just thought there's nothing for men's health. And the state of men's health is actually quite poor when you compare it to women's health. On average, we die five to six years uh, earlier than women and there's no biological reason for that whatsoever. And um, then we go, well, hang on, why is there nothing for men's health? And why have women done such an amazing job at bringing um, attention and causes, uh, campaigns to, to causes like breast cancer? And so we started to research men's health and prostate cancer um, and testicular cancer, the two male-only cancers. Right. And then, um, we, we focus on both of those, but initially it was prostate cancer. That has the same social impact as breast cancer. So right. roughly the same number of men are diagnosed with the, that disease and sadly that roughly the same number are past on So that became the, the convergence of growing a moustache with doing it for a cause and along the way we um, came up with that tagline, which is changing the face of men's health. That's great. Um, you know, I, I like you, you tell the story about – the rough beginnings, right? And, you know, you were like, you said, your boss wouldn't let you go to meetings and your relationships ended, you know, and I kind of liken it to like the growing of a mustache to a journey in business or even in your own personal life right. where like, as I was growing this, I go, 
it, it was ugly for quick, like a you know a few days. I'm like, is this the right decision for me? Uh, you know, but still that curiosity that you mentioned earlier, which is, you know, I think I might look awesome if I get there. And I think that happens a lot with ideas, right. with businesses. You go through this gestation period where it's ugly. You know, mm-hmm. have you has this kind of paralleled in your own journey over the last you know 11, 12 years? Yeah, it's a, it's actually a very good parallel and I hadn't thought about that because even before you start growing you've got all this doubt in your mind you're going I think I could be awesome um, but there's 10 reasons why I shouldn't grow a moustache because I've got an important meeting or I'm not sure how my wife my partner might respond to it and that happens a lot when you know you're thinking about a new business venture you you know before you hit the go button there's there's 10 reasons why you shouldn't do it and maybe there's 11 reasons why you should and then you get to this tipping point and you're in and then literally yeah the first couple of weeks are pretty rough because it's like (laughs) yeah and then but you do get to this tipping point around owning it um, being confident with it talking confidently about why you're doing it and you go through this journey and then you know come the end of the month it's like people go on this you know it it really is a journey of um, a little bit of self-discovery because the perception is you're going to put yourself out there potentially not looking your best right and that's been the beauty of Movember I mean it's on your face it's in your face you literally cannot miss it and (laughs) exactly there's uh, no hiding a mustache no 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 and um and one of the great things about Movember is um, it, it really is the only campaign that certainly we've come across that is being able to engage men at any significant scale in their health. And we do it by the fun of growing a moustache. We often say that the moustache is a Trojan horse to getting men engaged in their health because they want to be able to confidently explain why they're growing a moustache and they're doing it for men's health and then they might have an uncle or a father that's been affected by prostate cancer or a friend that's had testicular cancer or whatever the particular right. um, uh, reason is and then that becomes such an important message because over the course of the month they, by virtue of explaining this over and over, get engaged and knowledgeable about their health, yes. knowledgeable about the health risks men face and what Movember has done is created this environment where men feel comfortable talking about their health. Because we, if I sat down with you, and we've done some research on this actually around um, how to better engage men in their health and get them to take action. And one, some research that came out was um, that we we funded was women are typically very very good at sitting. Uh, across a table like we are face to face right and talking about whatever it is and crying right yeah and just <laughs> opening up and right but men we're much better at sitting or standing shoulder to shoulder and huh. having a beer or watching a game or growing mustaches where there is something else going on but the, the physical um, posture of standing side by side is really really important in getting men and creating these environments where they feel comfortable talking about things. And this is like a scientific, scientifically yeah. proven thing. It is. Yeah, yeah. And and in a way, Movember, if you go to a guy and, and start to engage him in prostate cancer, unless they're um, recently been diagnosed with that and fighting for their life, that we're just not interested in it, right? Right. And... So it becomes really important around, well, go back to that six years age difference. Like one of the big things is getting men educated about the health risks that they face. But the biggest thing is getting men um, taking action when they don't feel well. And that could be physically and mentally well. So we've got to create um, more pathways and more environments where men feel comfortable, you know, doing that. Right. And often, you know, I've been in this game for like 10, 11 years. Often I'll feel not well and put it off and put it off and put it off. But I know... <laughs> oh, I shouldn't yeah. do that. Right. I know that. But I, I have heel spurs right now and I get up every morning. I'm like, ow. And I'm, right. like, I'm going to go to the doctor. And then I never do. I'm like, right. I, I can tough it out. Like, yeah. I think but it, there's something about the bravado of being a man and bacon and meat <laughs> and yeah, exactly. conquering. Like, you're supposed to be well, we the man. What, you know, quote on, I'm going to use quotation marks. Right? Yeah. 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 And um, they're. You know that's how we're brought up, and to be providers, be the the tough guys, and and look after ourselves, and look after our families. Right. And often that can be at the at the expense of our own health. Right. And so that's you know the attitudes that we're trying to change, and it's a lot of subtle little things, and there's no magic bullet here. It's it's a lot of little things, and and the great thing I've certainly noticed. Um, 
is that there is definitely a new generation of thinking and attitudes coming through. Yeah. You know, I know my dad's approach to his health is it, because of my band have fundamentally changed. He'll ring me up and say, I went to the doctor and, you know, my PSA levels, which is the um, an indicator for prostate cancer, they're, you know, they're fine, they're at zero. And, and we would never, ever otherwise have that conversation. We'd be talking about football or like Australian football when I call him on yeah. Skype, you know. So. Which Australian football blows me away, by the way. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I miss it. Did <laughs> you play? I grew up playing Australian rules football and then um, later in life got, you know, more passionate about rugby union. So you had a mustache since you were like 12 or 13 then. I was this, born with a mustache. <laughs> that's man. what I thought. Okay. Um, so I guess the, the journey from 2003 to now, right? Yeah. The, the first year was rough, you know, and I think you, you tell a story about how you raised, uh, what, $50,000, $70,000? That, that was in our second year, 2004. So when we converged uh, growing a mustache with, with doing it for men's health, we cobbled together a, a website and um, – we had 450 guys in Australia and uh, we raised $54,000 and there were no um, online donations at that stage and it was sort of download a form and go on right. you know, total old school. Too many steps. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, you know, it, and the, but it's sort of the, the basic metrics were sort of defined back then. Um, each guy raised, I think at that stage, about $90, but they had a lot of conversations over the month and it attracted um, a decent amount of uh, media attention at that very small scale. And what's happened over the course of, you know, 11, 12 years now, uh, and if you wrap in this year, since then we've had 5 million guys uh, growing, supported by the women in their lives, and we've raised – by the end of this campaign, we've raised $650 million. And wow. So the, the it is a pure grassroots movement. So it's, we've increased the average that each guy raises. So each guy you know, globally will raise around $130, have a lot of conversations and create – you know, in their sphere of influence now, which includes right. social media, they're, they're posting and updating and and then a lot of media. And it literally g- generates beans and beans of impressions for this stuff. So suddenly you create this momentum that suddenly governments and the World Health Organization and, and organizations like that start to take notice that yep. there is this gender disparity um, in the uh, difference in health um, outcomes for men and women that no one's talking about except for this grassroots movement called Movember. And then suddenly it creates another, you know, what, set what of was, momentum. What was the, the tipping point, right? When did you know? You know, I think that first year you're like, okay, cool. Like, we, you know, it's a party. Then you're like, oh, we raised a little bit of money. And then, like, do you, like when did you know, like, oh, wow, this is – this is about to be awesome. Yeah, I, I think it, it was the third year. Um, so the first year, fun. Second year, 450 guys, $54,000. And it was a passion project at that stage, and it still was even. You still had a day job. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And um, we we just wanted to give back something to our community. We're at that stage in our lives where we wanted to do that. And it was really the third year where <clears> – <throat> We um, put together a, a much better website. You can make donations online and um, you could sign up online and all that sort of stuff. So, And in the third year, we had um, uh, 10,000 guys and we raised $1.3 million. And so to put that into perspective, the Prostate Cancer Foundation in Australia, who we donated all the funds to, they had a staff of about 10 people and through all their events over the course of the year, they were generating $600,000. So here's four guys doing it in their own time right. and over the four weeks raised $1.2 million. And that, uh, and off the back of that, there was a whole heap of media and interest around how can you possibly get dudes to grow moustaches and raise funds for a charity. That just does not make sense. Well, even from an innovation standpoint, that's that's where I, like, when I first heard of Movember, I was like, really? Like, it was kind of like, yeah. moustaches? Like, is it that big of a deal? Yeah. And then, you know, it, it, it's also, you mentioned something really interesting is this idea of impressions, right? right. The, the number of times you hear somebody talk about it, the number of mm-hmm. times you see a moustache, and you're like, you know, even if it's a stranger, you're like, is that his real moustache or is that just for the <laughs> this time period right. and then you know uh it becomes this sort of social thing and it's almost like you're not cool if you are not doing it right, right, right. <laughs> it's this really interesting thing it's like um you know walking down the street or you'll be on transport or or something and you'll just look across at a dude with about a two or three week year old uh, mustache and you know it goes back to the fight club analogy you know it's like you just look and you know because you know that dude's going right. through the same sort of pain or is that that sort of discovery phase right. of of november um 
but yeah, you know, when we started November, it was like there was no social media. Right. I, I remember us setting up our first most uh, MySpace page um, as our first foray into this whole thing. But what is amazing now, obviously, is that everyone has a much greater ability to broadcast messages through their social um, right. platforms. With that comes a, an inordinate amount of no- noise. But when you are changing your appearance to the extent that you're growing your moustache, that is interesting. Yeah. And people do take notice of that and go, well, hang on, why are you doing that? So it sort of peaks, peaks that interest. I had, I had one of my team members laugh at me at, at, at work the other day. They're like, hey, is that from November? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and this is somebody who like never laughs. I'm like, wait, wait, what's so funny? And I think that that's the other beauty of it. It's certainly November is an online campaign. And, and from an innovation point of view, we've certainly tried to create at Movember.com a – um, like a, a social networking platform, albeit around a cause, albeit around a, a small period of time, but we connect people from around the world that are doing this. Right. And the other great thing, though, is it actually takes place in the real world. So you have these amazing real world interactions. And I always say to anyone contemplating November, doing it for the first time, or maybe come back, back and doing it for the second time, I always say, I guarantee you there'll be one conversation that'll make it all worthwhile. <laughs> because of your moustache and it might be at Thanksgiving dinner this week where you go home we get so many emails this week from dudes going oh, I'm not sure I can rock a moustache back exactly. home um, not sure how to be received and we always say listen go home rock it and, and then get we, gravy in it too yeah. get, get gravy and turkey bits <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get another stream of emails um the week after Thanksgiving where guys go you know for the first time ever because of my moustache the dinner conversation turned to men's health and learned that an uncle or a dad or something had um, prostate cancer and this family had never ever talked about that stuff yep it's it's, so it, you know, it's interesting because, you know, you brought me back to a moment where I had an uncle who was like super buff, you know, um, grew up in the projects in Detroit, but he was like really smart and funny. And our favorite thing is like me and my cousins, he, we, we, when we saw him, he would shake our hand and like squeeze it like as hard as we're like, ah, no, don't do it. Um, and, you know, we were 9, 10, 11. And then probably when I was like 18, he had stomach cancer. And I hadn't seen him for a while. And we went to go visit him in the hospital. And he was so thin. And, like, it was just such a weird – again, from a man-to-man perspective, it was, like, daunting to see him in that, you know, in that state. Um, But – I don't, like I honestly don't think we ever talked about it. I've, t- I've told that story to a, a couple of friends of mine, yeah. but never like oh, the open conversation around this topic of broadly health, like what caused it, how could he yeah. prevented it, you know, all these different things. So that's yeah, and, that's and one of the most basic things we can all do for our health, um, men and women, is know your family medical history, right. And that's simply just sitting down and going, hey, let me understand that a little bit better because if your uncle had that, there is a, a high, high probability that you might be um, uh, have a higher chance of getting that. And certainly Thanks, Adam. direct blood <laughs> Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't mean to bring that show down, but it's – Show's um, over. No, just, no you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, it is like you know, not being afraid to share that information and it's not taboo anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of brands, including yours – you know, you talk about scale or, and reach, and there's obviously a very specific demo. Um, and you know, for somebody like me, it actually takes a little bit longer. You see my arms; I'm I'm fairly hairless. <laughs> um, so the hairless rat community of individuals and 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 or women, right. you know, how do they support and participate in you know in the cause? If you know they actually like Brooke here, I, I can't imagine see, seeing you with a mustache; it would be <laughs> quite scary. Um, but yeah, how, how, do, how, do, how do you reach scale and how do you engage people who are not necessarily growing the yeah the uh, <laughs> the hardware? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, let's talk about women first. And, and women play such a, a hugely important role in November and always have right from the start. And um, because particularly when you think about, you know, the starting premise of so let's, let's have a moustache themed party. I mean, if it was a room full of dudes with moustaches, right. it sort of gets a little boring and weird. Um, so women have been a really, really important part of this campaign right from the start. And they actually, when you think about it, they actually, their roles parallel their roles in men's health. Women are often, um, 
the people that prompt us, whether it's our mums, our, our, our girlfriends, wives, whatever, that prompt us to actually go to the doctor right. and and go, hey, you've been sick for a week with this. You know, you need to go um, or be proactive around your health. And in many ways, um, women play a support role in Movember. And it, it's Movember sort of flipped the sort of the standard sort of charity model on its head. Normally it's been the women that have been creating the campaigns and championing these particular causes. And, you know, men obviously during November are sort of the, the guys doing the growing. Right. And then the women are supporting and championing that. But we get a lot of women um, signing up at Movember.com and as team captains and then recruiting all the guys in their lives to, to grow. And a program that um, we've been working on and, and soft launch this year will become a much uh, bigger part of the campaign next year is a, a initiative called MOVE. So the first four letters of Movember MOVE. Mm-hmm. And one of the best things we can all do for our health is stay active uh, and move throughout That's the great. day. It doesn't mean necessarily going to the gym, but it's like get up and go for a walk. Don't be you know, tied to your desk for, for hours and hours on end. So underscoring the importance of MOVE and moving throughout the, uh, the day um, – what we're going to do next year is introduce a program where you can sign up and make a commitment to move. Right. So my dad might go, hey, he's going to walk 30 minutes every day of November. Um, but it will be the first time ever women can actually make a tangible commitment to the campaign. So they might go, I'm going to do 30 yoga sessions or spin classes or whatever it is, walk you know, um, 100 miles over the course of the month. Yeah. And then the way we'll tie it back to men's health is they'll then issue a challenge to the men in their life to match their move. And nice. get their dads, their brothers, their their boyfriends involved in this campaign. So it'll be another way, you know, and we, we talked a little about it before the show. It's like for us, like any other brand, it's like how do we stay fresh? How do we stay relevant? Yep. How do we give the community more ways to stay, well, support the campaign and, and you know, one of our taglines is having fun and, and doing good. Well, even along those lines, like how do you decide, right? After, you know, this is, is this the 10th year anniversary? Or is this, um, or is this kind of like eleven? Like, do you count? Do you count the the mustache party? <laughs> uh, that was that was zero. Okay, <laughs> it was okay. ground zero. Yeah, <laughs> um, but no. As you grow over this course of time, and like more and more people take note, more more opportunities come your way. Mm-hmm. Like ideas are flooding in. Probably, hey, you guys should do this, and then you're having your meetings. How do you filter, right? Because you, because you're gonna have. 20 things on the whiteboard that all sound awesome right. and then you go oh shit well we only have you know six people or whatever yeah. the number is and you have to actually make something happen so how do you how do you make the what's that decision process like? yeah it's 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 a really interesting question because it's like as you're growing rapidly one of the things key things is is staying sort of laser focused on your core and now as we sort of reach um, maturity, if you like, in in our growth phase, we know we need to sort of innovate and add add different elements to the campaign. But we've always said um, through this journey, what what we've said no to has defined us more than what we've said yes to. Hmm. And so, November. Yeah, November. Yeah, go, go. I literally <laughs> back to take the it back. Groups. Yeah, <laughs> take it back to November. Um, but you know, every year we get. Um, you know, brands um, going, hey, let's on November one, let's have fake mustaches that people can buy, uh, people can buy for a dollar at the counter and put them on. And we've always said no to that because for us, that'd be just a one-off gimmick that you know you just can't re- replicate again. Right. I, I sort of think, you know, a lot of people ask me about the ice bucket challenge and things like that. It's a wonderful, happy accident for ALS, right? And you couldn't architect that it just happened and it went viral and um amazing sort of financial um windfall for them that they'll then be able to invest in research it is very very hard if not impossible to make that sustainable because it was such a one-off short-term right you know uh campaign so for us it's like looking at things and going you know what is this going to look like in three or four years time is it a sustainable um campaign that's going to ultimately add to for us you know getting more men and women engaged in the campaign having more conversations raising more funds which means we can um on the back end fund more research and and you know cure prostate and testicular cancer that's great um you have background in the military. Mm-hmm. What has your military training experience given you as a business person? Yeah, one uh, leadership would be the answer to that. And I think um, 
um, the military is one of the few environments where you get um, taught and coached on how to be a great leader. And then you actually get to practically um, go out and exercise that leadership and you learn through that experience. And I think um, certainly my time, which has been extensive now outside of the military, there are very few other environments where you get that. Certainly team sports, um, right. which I played a lot of, you you get that. But, you know, a lot of people I think mix up the difference between management and leadership. And, you know, for me, leadership is about, you know, creating a vision of what you want to achieve or your organization wants to achieve and making that vision so crystal clear and then bringing in great people um, and inspiring them to believe in that vision both at an individual level but more importantly at a team. And then a leader, their role is really inspiring those people and getting them to operate at a higher level, both individually and collectively to achieve that vision. Right. And you know, I always say, you know, the, the true test of a leader is, is in a crisis and also how their team performs when they're not there. Right. You know, you can lead by fear, but as soon as you go out the door, there's like, you know, the, the team are going to go, party right, time. Yeah, party time. <laughs> Keep back and do nothing. Um, but I think a lot about leadership. And, That's um, when everybody rips off their Velcro mustache. Yeah, and exactly. like, hey, yeah, it's gone, gone now. Yeah, yeah, let's get back to growing beards <laughs> or doing something else. Um, what, so what is, what is your personal brand as a leader? Like, what do you, you know, what do you bring to the table? What, do you have a style? Is there a, a personal philosophy that you have, you know, um, that, that kind of... Uh, resonates throughout the organization. Yeah, I think one of the, the key characteristics of being a great leader is leading by example. And I think that's um, in your work ethic, so working hard and, I, you know, through this whole journey and I, I talk a lot now about entrepreneurship and startups and, and things like that, um, there is just no substitute and I haven't seen it for working hard. And um, as a leader, you've got to be really great at your job. To get the respect of your team, you need to be really good at whatever it is you do. Whatever it is your particular role is in this team, you need to be the best at it. Right. doesn't mean I'm the best at finance or, um, you know, marketing per se. And I can surround and you do surround yourselves with those those experts and those guns and that that. Uh, particular field, but they know and look up to you because you're really great at what you you know you do. Right. Um, and for me, that's still about you know creating this vision, creating a, a pathway that everyone sees and knows and how to get there. And then it's most importantly when when things aren't going so well or there's, there's you get a curveball. You know how to deal with that, and you bring the team together and go, "All right, we got this. It's fine. You know, let's let's navigate this way a little bit, and we'll get around that." Um, this is, uh, just just popped up for me, but why did you care enough? Yeah, right. Because I, I think you know, I think we all like even most of the people who participate in Movember, it's like a blip. They may do it one year out of the ten or eleven, yeah. uh, but like for you to to grow and take this on as your life's work and travel the world and, you know, do what you do for the cause. Why did you care enough to do that? It's a really, really good question. And it's one I've thought about a lot because we, we started this as a charity. So yeah. sure I get paid a wage, um, but that's it. There's no bonuses. There's no percentage of what's raised. There's nothing like that. So, you know, if we had gone down a different path and started an entity that created, you know, annual turnovers of $120, $130 million a year and our cost ratios are like 10, 15 cents in the dollar, you'd be, you'd be in there, right? Like, um, and we often like thinking, oh, wow. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we should have done it. What if we applied the same principles? Yeah. Right. Um, but um, I have thought about this a lot. And I think in reflection, it's like the first part of my life was um, I joined the military. And, and like in, a, in America, it's not compulsory. And I went to sort of the equivalent of West Point in Australia. And I just think there is part of me and my makeup and my DNA that is about service and and giving back. And initially that was to the country. And then there was a transition period when I was working in the corporate world. And now um, for me, it's service to this particular cause, which is, which is men's health. So I think that is built into me. Um, and I think beyond that though, when we got into this, it was to do something good in our community. We never ever thought that this would become a global 
movement. And when you get into this, and I, I often reflect on um, this transition from being successful to being significant, and I think hmm. the first part of your life is often about being successful, and that's academically, athletics, you know, new jobs, new titles, material stuff. And I think you get to a point in your life where you go, that's, that's all good and interesting, but being significant is far more important. And when you and being significant for me is about serving other people or causes that um, mm-hmm. uh, are in situations that are less fortunate yourself. And when you start giving back, it's the most rewarding, humbling, amazing thing you could ever possibly do. Yeah, because you start to see the impact that you're having on other people and and the community, and it's addictive. And sometimes it's like you you almost feel selfish because you're getting so much personal sort of satisfaction out of it. Mm -hmm. And so you get into, you know, often um, people go, my brother and I were two of the four co-founders. So people just assume that our dad had prostate cancer and that was the starting point for this inspiration. Um, And thankfully he's he's cancer free, but we often joke. It's back in the day he did uh, he did have a sick mustache that we uh, we wanted to uh, (laughs) nice emulate. Um, Yeah, but you you just get into this and um, you get surrounded by truly amazing people that you know believe in the cause and donate their face for thirty days, and you have these amazing conversations. (laughs) And now. down the path so so far we we've built a lot of financial uh capital mm-hmm. um through the campaign and there weren't a lot of people researching prostate and testicular cancer there was just no funds in it and now you've got the financial and no co- fun in it no exactly <laughs> no fun or yeah. funds yeah no, that, that's a really good point yeah. and that's what the breast cancer movement did so so wonderfully well they made it they made it sexy fashionable yeah. talkable and so you want to be part of that and we've done the same with with prostate and testicular cancer, and and so now you get these researchers um, coming to this field um, that we're funding, and, and not only that, we're we're the only cancer category that's able to unite the can- prostate and testicular cancer research world, right? Because we're in twenty one countries, because we're the major funder, we're now connecting researchers in in Boston and LA and, and Montreal and London and Sydney that didn't even know each other existed, right? Researching the same thing and now working together and collaborating, and you know, you see, you get as we got into this cancer research world, it's like it's like you just shake your head, yeah. It's like how inefficient is this? And the only thing that ever gets shared is is a breakthrough that gets written up in a journal. Well, that's what I was going to ask too. Is, you know, as because we hear about so many causes, right? And you may hear about a triumph, or you know, hey, we were able to build a you know a, an orphanage in Africa right. and and all these different things. So there are some tangible results. I think with with things like cancer, mm. you know, we've been dealing with cancer for God knows how long. Right. Um, where do you where have you seen breakthroughs because of the collaborations and the things that you've yeah. you've been able to kind of facilitate yeah if, if we just focus on prostate cancer um, and so we helped fund um, a couple of years ago the identification there's 28 types of prostate cancer at the University of Michigan and I went to Michigan State but uh, oh, that's okay that's right, right. should have moved it over just a little <laughs> southeast um, <laughs> so now we know there's 28 types of prostate cancer of that there's about 8 of those cancers that are aggressive and need aggressive forms of treatment radiation or surgery but the other 28 you know, you can live with that cancer as long as it doesn't move beyond the prostate through active surveillance, diet and exercise and, and a drug regime. The issue at the moment is we can't tell a guy what type of prostate cancer he's got and therefore what type of accurate treatment he needs. So therefore, we're over-treating guys. Mm-hmm. And there's a financial burden. The side effects are horrible, incontinence, impotence, bowel disorder, depression. Guys go through rushing to surgery, radiation, come out the other side and go, my life is horrible. Right. I'd rather have died of prostate cancer than live like I'm living. So we know there's 28 types. We know there's eight aggressive types. Um, so we need tests now to tell a guy what type of prostate cancer you got. So literally last uh, week we announced um, a breakthrough out of um, uh, Toronto, Queen Margaret Hospital up there. Three years ago, we invested $20 million in this particular research project to help identify what type of prostate cancer a guy has. So 
Um, this will I help probably 20% of the guys and be able to go accurately um, what type of prostate cancer we've got, therefore Fantastic. what type of treatment he needs. And prostate cancer, it's an interesting cancer because there's not typically any signs or symptoms until it moves beyond the prostate. Right. And then it's often really hard to treat. But if you catch it early, you um, apply the, the right type of treatment, um, it, it's 100% treatable and so our aim here is to to cure this this cancer and we will we're confident we will and it won't be one cure right. it'll be hundreds hundreds of cures and it'll be so much so that it's tailored cures for for each individual there was a really interesting um uh talk i, I we talked about uh, an event called idea city that happens mm-hmm. in toronto um there's a talk up on that website now uh, where a guy talks about 3d printing uh cancer cures Um, And because he says, you touched on something really interesting, is this idea that everyone's body and DNA and makeup is different and cancer is your, you know, it's your own cells. And so there's going to be slight variations and kind of being able to create, you know, sort of that one to one solution or one to few Mm. solution is is really interesting. I I didn't have a point there, but but it's. That's what it will come down to, really highly um, personalized treatment. And um, that's where we're heading. And <clears throat> prostate cancer will become a, a curable and manageable disease. And w- there's a lot of things we can do to prevent can- uh, prostate cancer as well. It's like diet and exercise um, is part of it. But some of us are dealt a genetic hand that you're just going to get prostate cancer. Right. And is it true that men should sit down and pee? Uh, no. Okay. All right. I guess I've been <laughs> doing it wrong all this time. <laughs> Sorry, Maria. <laughs> Uh, no, <laughs> uh, no I'd, I'd heard that years ago, but I didn't. All right. Thank you for clearing that up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I've got no evidence to <laughs> no, back that up, by the way. Damn it. I've been fooled. Uh, you talk about this uh, successful to significant. I love that. Um, how do you not let it go to your head? Right. Because you'd be fine that some people get into a position of significance right. and, you know, all hell breaks loose or they're, you know, they become a tyrant or just what there's horror stories that you hear yeah. about working with or for certain people. Um, how did, especially kind of building it from nothing, right? Yeah. It wasn't handed to you. It was kind of like, all right, so um, how do you, how do you, how do you stay humble? <laughs> like, um, I'm not humble. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> um, it's, it's again great question, and we as as we grew as an organisation, we we realised we needed to define a set of values when we got past about twenty thirty employees and other people, other than the founders started to employ people to come into the team. So we we wrote down and and um, eight values, and our number one value is fun. Um, up there is a value which is humble. And mm. it, it just means, you know, be, having a humble approach to everything that you do. Be proud of it, but be humble. And um, it's something we think about a lot as an organization and as a leader. And um, I can tell you, if, if any of us get out of line in, in not being humble, uh, my brother will call me out straight away. One of the other co-founders will or even uh, staff. Right. And it's, it's – um, you know, it is about being proud around what we've achieved and, and what we're doing. But um, we have a humble approach to everything we do. Right. And, you know, just as a practical example, so when, when I first moved to LA, so I, I came across in 2007 to launch the Movember campaign in, in America and in Canada. And the Prostate Cancer Foundation is based in Santa Monica. So I ended up resting my laptop here and, and cooling at home. And the the weather and sort of similar vibe to Australia sort of helped. Um, But um, um, I forgot where I was going. That is like the – Just the idea of staying humble and, you know, moving to this location and and the environment you set up. Sorry, yeah. That's fine. um, We won't edit that out. (laughs) No, give it, give it. Um, This is real and raw. Yeah, it was like – you know, media in LA is celebrity driven for the most part. And so in media here, you'd always get asked, well, who's your celebrity ambassador? And it's like, well, <clears throat> we don't have one. And I didn't know how to answer that question right. um, for many years. And then it was like, hang on, you know, this year we've got literally 800,000 celebrity ambassadors. And for us, we we treat every single person that does Movember, every Mobro, every Mo sister as a celebrity and an ambassador. And sure, we have athletes, we have celebrities participating in Movember and they, they happen to have greater reach 
right. than than the average person, and that's wonderful, and we respect that. But we literally try and make a hero out of uh, everyone participating because yeah. they're, they're the rock stars, you know. And our our role as an organization and the staff working on on the brand and the campaign, we we you know our analogy is we're, we're the roadies, yeah. And the true rock stars are the the Mo Bros and Mo Sisters, you know. Participating, we create that stage for them to to well, tell a story. It's very democratizing in that sense. It's like any anybody can be a hero, right? You don't have to be a quote unquote hero. I, I, I keep having this analogy in my, in my mind about like a uh, it's almost like a costume party where you're all walking in and, and even though your costume's awesome, like you're going to be impressed by other person's <laughs> thing and it's like, oh, you did the handlebar or yeah. you did, ah, I love the, you know, it's this it, kind of, you know, it is social amazing. equality. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, you that's what I love about the end of November parties, which we, we still have. And, you know, you get these people from all different walks of life, all different ages, and they've gone through this same journey. And it's such a unifying Experience from students to people that are employed to artists to to CEOs to people in the finance industry to to firemen to you know and it's just this amazing journey. We often say, well, cancer doesn't discriminate, you know, and it's right. like it'll affect anyone and everyone. And the mustache is such a unifier um, when you come into these environments, and that's what we try to sort of leverage online as well yep. um, in, in this virtual environment. And it was. I was in Norway a couple of weeks ago as I was doing the, the tours of November and I, I met the oldest man in Norway. He was 107 years old <laughs> and he's doing November. And so I did an interview with him and um, uh, his English wasn't great. My Norwegian is non-existent. And um, so I asked him three questions. I said, have you ever grown a moustache before? And he goes, yeah, I agree. He goes, I was living in London in 1935 and moustaches were all the rage. So that was the last time he grew a moustache. <laughs> wow. 1935, before World War Two. And then I said, so hang on, how did you come across November? How did possibly exactly. in your retirement home at 107 – he goes, oh, my, my son's been doing it for a couple of years. And I go, hey, wait, how old is your son? He goes, oh, he's 85. <laughs> <laughs> and then my last question to him was, you know, well, what's the key to, you know, living such a long life? And he goes, always have a laugh and always have a glass of beer. So that is yeah. good, good advice. That's right? great, um, which is also how we started the interview. Yeah. Your whole thing was over, over beer. Yeah. Um, I look at a calendar. Um, and then I see there's 11 other months. Um, we kind of touched on this before we got started. But then I look at like brands like a South by Southwest, right? Mm-hmm. It's March, right? And but it's but people talk about it all the time, right? right? Or Sundance, people are planning for Sundance, mm-hmm. or you you know um, anything stand up a cancer even mm-hmm. like the concert. We know the seasonality of mm-hmm. of these things. Um, what sort of tactics, uh, you know, in addition to say the move, right? Are you are you taking to stay relevant? And, you know, equally as impactful during the rest of the year. Yeah, again, it's a really interesting um, question because you, you, we are an event. We are an annual event, um, but we are a foundation as well. So as a foundation, we're, we're funding and managing um, programs, be it support programs or research um, throughout the year. So we've got a whole programs department that focus on our program strategy and, and where um, to invest the money and then benchmarking the progress on that. But in terms of the community, it's a really interesting converse, uh, you know, it's a really interesting challenge because, um, you know, in December it's about saying thank you. But beyond that, it's like, hey, we, we never want to be saying, hey, November's six months off, you know, you know, right. start thinking about it. But for us it's about, um, you know, staying relevant online. So, you know, our email and, and social media communications. And in, in the rest of the year what we're talking about is the impact um, that um, the funds that the, the community has raised is having and then also profiling um, um, people that have been impacted or funded by Movember and telling their stories and giving a human side to it. Then also what we try to do is identify cultural events throughout the calendar where Movember would make sense to be at. So it could be a music festival where we're the official charity partner. It could be a rock concert. Right. Um, it could be Formula One racing. It could be whatever it is. That we have a um, a partnership with the organisation, then we have a Movember activation and a festival, which is it's a chill out zone where you come, you can get water, you can there's cruisy music and there's lounges, right. you can just get away from things and relax on on Movember. So it's about how do we create these remarkable experiences throughout the year where we're not asking anything, 
other than come and hang out, right. have a conversation and, and keep it going. And you know, another initiative um, uh, that we've done in LA, our office here in Culver City, we've got um, called the Movember & Co Barbershop. So we've got a barbershop there and um, that's open year round. And, and barbers potentially play a really, really important role in men's health And because it's the one place we go to every four to six weeks. Right. We're in the chair for half an hour and we're having this conversation. And... Um, so again, another example of a place where you're not surprised to see Movember, but you're sort of delighted. Go, okay, right. that, that sort of makes sense. You know, I there. think I should hide a prostate checker in the barber chair, so when people sit down, they're like, <laughs> like a pleasant, healthful surprise. <laughs> just, no, just my sh- idea. I'm just throwing it out yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure about repeat customers on that. <laughs> Good, you, know, you have. A, I'm sure you have a few. <laughs> um, uh, I was going to ask you. Um, you talked earlier about brands and how the the fake mustache thing won't work. Um, what what has worked uh, for brands and that you know that have wanted to participate and support and, and be a part of the movement? Yeah, we, we we certainly have a lot of collaborations, and we look for brands that have similar brand values to our, have a similar audience, um, and that are brands that. Um, you know, our audience would go, oh, that's awesome that Movember's partnered with them. So right. we're partnered with Harry's Shaving, um, Discovery Channel, Tom's Shoes, um, Barbasol, um, Shaving Cream. And in each case, we, we try and carve out a really unique um, position for them in the campaign. We don't have, you know, Movember brought to you by Brand X. It's like we have a lot of partners. And we don't – we deliberately call them partners, not sponsors. Sure. We're not after – cash in return for your logo all over stuff it's, a, it's about an authentic partnership because they believe in the cause and then you know Tom's Shoes we've, we've done this five seasons now and we've carved out they do a collaborative Movember shoe um, and it's gone on to be the best male selling shoe really um, one of the best selling shoes yeah year on year because it's like it gives them a story it gives us a story to tell to a particular audience that's awesome uh, and then Classy yeah you've launched this thing called Classy um, tell us about it if you're if you can. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm the uh, the chairman of an organization called Classy. Um, a couple of guys down in San Diego uh, started a few years ago and got connected with them. So the the platform is a technology platform uh, where startup charities or, or established charities can come and use their technology platform to create a website and a fundraising platform. So I got connected with the guys uh, probably four or five years ago and and these guys are it's, – it's a for-profit business with a social purpose. It's sure. about um, powering you know, a, a new generation of philanthropy really and they're very well connected from a technology point of view into all the social networks and that is such an important aspect now for charities to, to come in and, and, and start up. And we've developed our own, Movember has developed our own technology platform in part because in 2004 there was none of these third party right. platforms and we're in 21 countries and it's complex. And, you know, if we were starting over again in the US, it is much more, it's much more efficient to go onto one of these platforms that's established, they've got a, they got thousands of other charities on it, so therefore they can yeah. they can leverage those learnings, and you can come on and have literally overnight as sophisticated fundraising platform as we've got, and we've been developing for eight or nine years. So, isn't there something to be said though about like you know building a movement in a grassroots way that you had to in two thousand three versus Kiva or Kickstarter or you know it's kind of like unless you're the coolest cooler. You know, right. you're going to be a blip, and maybe we'll see the product. Maybe we'll see that light bulb that stays on all <laughs> all day. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just throwing it out for conversation's sake, right? A movement versus actually uh, being able to help a particular cause, mm. and is there a differentiation there? Yeah, it, um, you know, the, what we've seen with all these third-party platforms, whether it's a Kickstarter or a, a classy platform, is... Very be- classy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, because the barriers to entry now are, are, are so low to, to actually start up a, a charity or you know a particular business, on the one hand, it's a great thing because there's a lot of people going back to and, and, and firing that entrepreneurial spirit. But again, there's a lot, a lot of noise out there. And, and um, even though you've got to you know, use a classy platform, you've got a great fundraising environment that's only going to be sustainable if you can actually create a true grassroots movement what what's 
what's the cause, what's the issue you're trying to solve um, and creating a real emotional connection with that and then giving people a way to actually support that. Right. So whatever it is, you, you know, ultimately you still need – an innovative, fun, engaging way for the community um, to get involved with that and yes. want to because you've inspired them. The platform over here really just just empowers that, right. and and that, and that's the challenge um, is you know creating you know what is the next you know big viral thing to yeah. for for a particular cause that 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 importantly is sustainable. No, it's, it's great. not just going to be a flash. In the no, it's just a curious thing, yeah, because it's you know you do have there's a, there's tremendous resources, that, you know, but I feel like the resources that match a vision, right? Yeah. The vi- vision is one thing, and then the resources become tactics by which yeah. to make that vision happen. Right. Um, but just an interesting thought there. What did um what did Adam Garone want to do when he was a, a boy, <laughs> little Australian boy? Yeah, I grew up. Um, <laughs> I, I certainly grew up wanting to to be an officer in the army my dad was my uncle was and it was sort of just a path that i um chose and i don't remember consciously sort of thinking anything other than doing that so you know did that for nine a bit years and then um realized i'd achieved everything i wanted to achieve in that environment and my my started doing mba and my my world opened up to wow there's there's, uh, there's so much more thing yeah there's here. people think differently and <laughs> right. not all the same way and and um that just broadened my and opened my world to uh you know uh, you know <laughs> you know civilian community i guess and then um went on beyond that so that's fantastic mm. so um the show's called innovation crush yeah um uh, I was going to call it Innovation Crush Dash, but I didn't know if that would, <laughs> that would work. Um, maybe that just maybe that we'll works. change the artwork just yeah. for this this episode. No, but um, what out in the world have you seen that you're crushing on? Right, it, it can be in your own space. It can be a technology thing. It can be something you ate last week or an art exhibit. But is yeah. there something out there that you go like, ah, that's awesome? Uh, you know, right? It's, yeah. Um, you know, I'm. I don't. Know, I. I I, I sort of come back to like, you know, people that are great at telling stories. Like there, there's so many platforms out there and, the, you know, some people do crush it when they tell a particular stories. And, then, you know, all these, all the platforms, they're, they're just that. They're platforms. They're conduits to tell your story. And what's becoming so important um, now is what is the story you're telling and, and and you know one example that pops out is humans in New York on, on Instagram and I'm just sort mm-hmm. of fascinated around their ability to tell stories and get um, the community engaged and sure they do that through Instagram but again that just becomes the conduit right the the, the path for which they broadcast this message and where it's so cluttered and I, I just fascinated where particular brands telling you know there's the the shocking stuff like the you know um oh, I probably can't mention the Instagram handles on this, on this here but <laughs> don't worry we're yeah. rated our program yeah, it's yeah. uh here. <laughs> right. yeah um so you see like the fuck Jerry's of the world and stuff mm-hmm. like that and what they post and and Dan Bazilian whatever his name is um and the stuff that they post getting getting cut through for a particular reason but then here's humans in New York telling really quite sincere and and um normal for want of a better word stories about yeah. interesting people on the streets and yeah that that for me is like well, those people, people want that like it's, it's funny because it, like I feel like there's two separate groups on the internet there's the the haters right and, right and it's like read any comment on anything on in, on the on the internet and you'll be shocked and appalled and you know hilariously entertained fascinated right? yeah exactly yeah, like you can't like uh, <laughs> that's always better than whatever the story was right, it's right, like right. Man, wow people really they, people are inventive and crazy yeah um but and then there's this sort of endearing you know side that you know that humanistic thing mm-hmm. uh, you and I were talking about the serial uh, yeah, podcast yeah, yeah. earlier and you know, there's this like this is interesting, interesting, yeah, exactly, right. human interest uh, and very sincere storytelling mm. that goes mm. behind it. Mm. Um, so, last but not least, uh, finish this phrase for me. You ready? Yeah. Deep breath, yeah. Brooke. You ready? You're gonna get this on. Yeah, she might have to help me. <laughs> not easy. Uh, innovation to me is continuously improving and crushing it. And crushing it. 
Shout out to my to, shout out to my show. Um, I want to be significant too. So uh, thank you. Uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Like, where can people find you? What? Um, yeah, yeah, there's one. one um, Movember.com is where you can uh, find out all the information about Movember. Uh, make a donation coming to the end of the campaign. One, one thing I didn't mention through all this and was that there's a third funded cause. So we prostate cancer, testicular cancer, two male-only cancers. Yep. But a cause that I'm really passionate about is mental health and that affects men and women, but it's a funded cause um, for us and a, a key priority. We've been doing that since 2006 in Australia. We just, um, in the US, uh, on the back of this campaign, we'll start funding programs in that area. And people always go, well, what? You know, that obviously affects men and women, but the statistics for men are shocking. Uh, Three out of four suicides are men. We talked about the average age difference earlier. Um, A big contributor to that is men taking their life. And it's a gnarly, woolly subject. We don't know a lot about the brain. Uh, Mental health is a disease. We've got to get rid of all these stigmas. We've got to get men talking about it, but most importantly, seeking help when they're not feeling well and recognizing when they need to do that. So for me, that's sort of a... um, a very passionate cause. Yeah. Uh, as I said, my dad didn't have prostate cancer. I didn't have testicular cancer, but I certainly had some mates along the way that um, sadly took their lives, as, as did some of the other co-founders. So th- that is a, yeah. a cause that's particularly important to us, and um, it's a gnarly one. It's not an easy yeah. one. We, 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 we will cure prostate and testicular cancer. Right. It's a matter of time. It's more money. And as I said, there won't be one cure. There will be many. Um, but mental health is a it's a woolly issue. It's a issue. very different thing. It's it's interesting. We had a guy on uh, named Jeff Spar, and Jeff uh, runs an organization called Peace Love Studios, right? And it's all about art and mental wellness. Mm-hmm. And he's done a great job. But he himself is a sufferer of OCD, and right. but like a you know a CEO, college athlete, um, and he's just like at one point he's like I was lucky because I, you know I got help early, right. and he was just like oh something's not right. Like it was just you know. <laughs> This is a little, and, and he talks about this idea of this sort of illness being one that you can't see, right? Right? Like you can see when someone's suffering from cancer, you know, at, at least at a point, yeah. Um, and the, you know, or it's more talked about it, and then you know, oh, is it does a kid have ADD or is he just a bad kid, right? right. Like, it's, right, right. yeah, I have a nine year old, and then she, I mean, she's great, but it's just like, are you okay? <laughs> um, but then you know, but some and sometimes, unfortunately, surprise, it is something a, a little bit more uh, intense. Yeah, and it, it is a disease, and like a lot of diseases, if you can catch it early, it's treatable. Right. And you know, we do need to. Big one is getting rid of the stigmas, and you do that by making it talkable right. and getting people talking about it, and getting people to recognize the disease. And you know, the the point. Where you know success for us would be when someone goes, "Hey, I suffer from anxiety or bipolar." The way people would react to them would be no different to going, "Hey, I've got cancer." Right? They go, "Oh my goodness, um, are you okay? What treatment are you getting? Yes. How can I help?" Versus, you know, and it's just you know, it's society and then what we think is normal and not normal, and you know, there's and it's just breaking it down. So that's it's sure. uh, that's. Um, We've certainly done a great job of it with mustaches and prostate cancer. Yeah. It's, um, so I, I don't doubt that you'll have success yeah. in, in that realm. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, have it all the time. It's like guys have a conversation about how good or bad their mustache looks and that's how these conversations start. And then it's like literally it's like, hey, dude, I suffer from anxiety. I take medication for it. And that just creates this bridge in conversation. And right. that just changes the relationship. I think you should just have people like grow afros uh, yeah, or yeah. just have their hair grow long for uh, men- mental, that's, uh, mental wellness. 2015 uh, <laughs> there we innovation. Go. That's two free ideas you got for me. <laughs> uh, next one I have to charge you. But no, um, thank you so much. This, is, this has been fantastic. I'm glad I'm glad you, we got to do it. And, um, you know, it, Movember.com, anything else? Your Twitter handle? Your, uh, Adam uh, Garoni, A-D-A-M-G-A-R-O-N-E. Garoni. Garoni. No, but Italian. Ah, Italian, Australian. There's too many Ians at the end of everything. But anyway, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Brooke. Hey, how are you? She's grown a mustache It actually grew since we since I mentioned it earlier. But thank you, everybody, and we will talk to you next time. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. 
It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Slicinger. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore because it's here and it's funny and I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.